This is EM Pulse with your hosts, Sarah Medeiros and Julia Magana. Episode 18. With great power comes great responsibility. Welcome back to EM Pulse. You know, last month we podcasted live from Western Regional SAM in Napa, and now we are back with another full episode. In our last full episode a couple months ago, titled Hashtag This Is My Lane, we spoke with Dr. Garen Wintemute about firearm violence. You know, Sarah, with all of these mass shootings, many professional societies, including our own ASEP and AAP, have released statements about gun violence. And as a pediatric emergency medicine physician, a pediatrician, a mom, a neighbor, I strongly agree with many of these statements personally. But the one area that we aren't discussing as much is how we as individual physicians can step into roles as activists, not just with gun violence, but with healthcare in general, like vaccines, human trafficking, and mental health. These issues do impact us, and I believe our stories are very powerful. We are literally, literally on the front lines of these issues, and we see patients who come in affected by vaccine-preventable diseases violence, mental health issues, and so much more. Yeah, and physicians are often trained to be objective, scientific, precise, careful, apolitical. We have often been told we represent a system or that our words shouldn't alienate our patients or our community. There is this unspoken expectation that we should remain clean and objective, and I think this makes some of us hesitant to join the world of advocacy. Yeah, I I definitely think about it myself. Sarah, were you trained in advocacy during medical school? No formal training, nothing in the classroom, but we did do a lot of advocacy. I was a part of the Charles Drew University, um, which is a sub-program of UCLA, and during that time, the trauma center of the Martin Luther King Hospital in Watts Willowbrook was closed and followed by the hospital, and there was a lot of student advocacy during that time. I feel like this is a more purposeful topic in medical school now than it was even when we were in medical school and residency. You know, this next generation of physicians are more focused on social justice and advocacy than ever before. Medical education, Sarah, has traditionally had kind of the two pillars model, which are the basic and clinical sciences. At least that's how I felt my medical school was set up. But as we focused on the mastering of the science and art of medicine, we kind of lost control of the political and economic environment that forms the basis of how we actually care for our patients. Yeah, and in response to this, the AMA introduced a new discipline called health system sciences, which is the new, quote, third pillar in medical education. Health system science focuses on the broader system of care, including the principles of policy and economics, population health, behavioral and social determinants of health, and health system improvement. And in fact, at UC Davis, we now have a curriculum on advocacy that Nick Sawyer and several other colleagues at UC Davis developed. They called this curriculum United, or Understanding Needs in the Emergency Department, and it's part of a four-part experience that gives students the opportunity to meet with real patients in our emergency department. And it's really cool, Sarah, because I watch them come through, and they actually sit down next to these patients. They listen to their stories, and they learn about the healthcare system and how it does and does not work for them from their stories. And it's through these stories and this knowledge of how our system actually works that they are hoping the next generation of physicians will feel empowered to, like, rise up to the top levels of business and government to be advocates 
so that we can all look forward to a brighter future in the way in which we deliver health care. I think that's really awesome. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) So in today's episode, we'll explore the role of social media in physician advocacy. We were really lucky to speak with another violence prevention researcher and advocate who works closely with Garen. Dr. Megan Ranney is an associate professor of emergency medicine at Brown University and chief research officer for Affirm Research. And since we're talking about social media and advocacy, we might as well start off with her Twitter handle, which is at Megan Ranney. And we were interested in how she got involved in firearm violence prevention in the first place, especially as it relates to social media. My passion lies in the overlap of technology or digital health and public health, particularly the prevention of violence and related mental health problems. I've been involved with violence prevention in one form or another for a very, very long time. I did a fellowship in injury prevention, and during that fellowship started trying to think about ways that I could develop violence prevention and related public health interventions for the emergency department um, that could be useful and usable in the context of what emergency medicine really is. And it became apparent to me very quickly that technology was one potential solution um, to that dilemma. I had been a Peace Corps volunteer um, in West Africa and then spent a fair amount of time overseas during my residency. And during that time, actually got to see some of the neat ways that folks were using technology and particularly cell phones in really innovative ways. Um, Because in low and middle income countries, with fewer of the typical resources that we have here in the States, they became very early adopters of, for instance, text messaging. And I brought that home and and started um, applying initially the use of text messaging and then other forms of tech to screening and interventions for domestic violence, sexual assault, um, youth violence, and gun violence. So we wanted to know how she uses social media as a physician. Social media, to me, serves a few purposes. Um, The first thing is, is that it's fun. Uh, I truly get joy out of social media. Um, I am a total extrovert, as anyone who has ever met me (laughs) will know. And so it serves my desire for extroversion when I'm not able to be one. So sometimes it can be a little distracting, um, but it's it's really fun and a great support system. Um, I have found a great community of people on social media who I just love interacting with, some of whom are a persistent part of my community and some of whom kind of pop in and pop out where I discover new folks. The second thing for social media for me is that it's a way to both disseminate and gather information. So uh, as many of us know, the FOMED movement, it's a great way to um, stay up to date on the latest articles or CME or debates, um, and also a way to push out interesting research. And then the third thing is, is that it's a way to affect change. This has been a later growth of the purpose of social media to me but a really important one. When I first got on social media, it was really around that information sharing and community. And then the power of social media to help drive the public conversation um, has been a more recent development, but has become a more critical part of my involvement in it. Now, I follow Megan on Twitter, and she is very active, and she has over 14,000 followers. (laughs) But what other platforms is she using? So total disclosure here, I am a Gen Xer. Um, So for me, uh, the platforms that I use most frequently are Facebook and Twitter. Um, With LinkedIn to a smaller extent, keep putting my feet into the water of Instagram, but just haven't 
quite found my space there yet. Um, for me, Facebook is much more uh, personal. It's also a place where I partake in groups. So we're all physician moms in this room, right? Physician moms group is one great example. Um, Feminem. Uh, there's a number of other kind of dedicated groups that I use on Facebook for discussion and posting. To me, Twitter is much more of the kind of Greek agora. It's the public sphere. It's the stadium. It's all of us going out and sharing our thoughts and then getting the chance for input in a much more open way than Facebook is. And then LinkedIn, of course, is professional. I think Instagram has wonderful potential, and I have a lot of friends and colleagues that are using it who have a true design background. For me, it's less of an important area, partly because of the reasons that I use social media. Sarah, I know you don't have a specific design background, but I swear you do have the design bug. (laughs) (laughs) I always love your Instagram posts, and I think that they're beautiful and very well thought out. It looks like it takes a lot of time to do those. Yeah, maybe in my other life, I would have been a a graphic designer or something. I think that's true. (laughs) (laughs) So what are some of the advantages and disadvantages of physicians using social media? I think the advantages are numerous. A few years back, I wrote a paper with a number of people active on Twitter who we wrote a paper about kind of the advantages of Twitter for physicians and academics, where we laid out the various things that we see as the potential for it. You know, it's that community, it's the sharing of information, the potential to create collaborations and to learn, as well as to affect change. But there are also pitfalls, right? So I think one pitfall is, is that it's a time suck. And so it can be yet another thing that distracts us from all the other stuff we have to do. Another pitfall is that it's not always reliable. Um, We're seeing less of this now, but in the early years of FOMED, um, I'd get a lot of residents who would be like, well, I'm doing this because I saw it on Twitter. I'm like, man, that was not peer-reviewed. And so I think that that can be a danger. There's a danger around ethics, too, both in terms of sharing patient-specific information, which is a huge no-no, but also around just kind of how you portray yourself in the greater world and the danger of inadvertently undermining the standing of our profession or your own reputation. I worry a lot about time management. I feel like this could be a huge potential time suck in my life. And I also take being a representative of my community and where I work very seriously. Uh, But I also have a, a responsibility as a physician. What about advocacy? What about using social media for advocacy purposes? I think that it is critical for us to use social media for advocacy purposes. We as physicians and other healthcare professionals have a really important voice. We see things that no one else sees. We experience things that no one else experience. And if we are not out there as part of the public conversation, we are then ceding the grounds of debate to people who don't have the uh, expertise or the experience that we do. Our voice is critical. And there are so many issues that intersect with a healthcare system where I feel like we owe it to our patients to be an agent for change. I think one does have to walk a line. You don't ever want to become an advocate to the point that you are speaking without evidence or, um, again, harming our profession. I think there have been a couple of notable examples in the past year, Eugene Gu being one of them, where folks have risen to prominence as quote-unquote, advocates, but really were kind of all about themselves and not actually about the mission and weren't actually doing the work behind it. But those scare cases aside, I think it's critical for us to be involved just to do so in a, in a thoughtful and uh, well-informed way. 
Yeah, I completely agree with Megan that social media is a powerful tool for advocacy. But as you said, Julia and Megan mentioned, we also have to choose our words and messages carefully. So how does Megan toe this line? Even if you have that disclaimer in your bio that my thoughts do not represent my institution, at the end of the day, to a certain extent, you are affiliated with your institution. And so you always have to keep that in mind. So there's a great social media policy from Mayo, which I love, which is don't lie, don't pry, don't cheat, can't delete, don't steal, don't reveal. And I think that following those very simple 12 words can be a great place to get started. The delete one is a big one, right? Because we all have seen those screenshots of people's tweets that they then deleted. And so to me, you know, don't share stuff that you don't want your mom seeing or that you wouldn't want your hospital CEO seeing. (laughs) Don't think that you can go back and delete it. Don't take somebody else's ideas and don't make stuff up. And then most of all, be kind. And I think you'll be okay. We'll all make mistakes. And there is a little bit of a learning curve, but watch what other people do. Get involved when you can and don't be afraid to share your voice. I think one great recent example of this is Shannon McNamara who has been involved with Twitter for a while, but really took off in the last year with some tweets, um, both about being a human in medicine and uh, a more recent series of tweets around step one and the pressure that it creates. Um, and, And just did a beautiful job of really sharing her voice. But I've had a lot of direct conversations with her, and I know she's super thoughtful. Um, about what she decides to put out there uh, to make sure that it's done in a way that um, is kind and respectful and honest. Elevates that conversation. Elevates the conversation. That's the goal. And I think we can do that, right? Social media right now, heck, America right now is so divided and so, well, I don't know, what's the opposite of elevated? So much in the basement. (laughs) (laughs) In the gutter. In the gutter, yes. Uh, But we can, we as physicians can be a voice for not being that way. Um, And I think you look around and you see a lot of great physician voices out there. You see some not great physician voices, but you also see a lot that are really exemplifying kindness and honesty and um, the value of, of raising the discourse. You know, in November of 2018, the NRA responded to reducing firearm injuries and deaths in the United States, a position paper from the American College of Physicians. And they told doctors to, quote unquote, stay in your lane and stay out of the discussion on firearm access, regulation, and injury prevention. This sparked a controversy across the Twitterverse, as we addressed in our previous podcast, hashtag this is my lane. And I felt like clearly the NRA was saying, this is not in our scope of practice to advocate for gun legislation. Megan is involved in gun legislation and advocacy, so I wanted to know what her response to this statement was. So I actually took uh, that tweet to be much wider than that. I took the tweet to be, it is not physician's role to talk about guns at all. And my reaction was, you've got to be kidding me. We as physicians, we as emergency physicians, are the first and often the only ones to take care of those patients with gunshot wounds who make it to the hospital. We in healthcare in general are the ones who not only take care of the victim, but also take care of their family and the survivors and all of the long-term consequences. We also know how to solve public health problems, right? You look at the history of our country, and it is filled with examples of physicians and other healthcare professionals stepping up to the plate to solve tough epidemics, ranging from polio to childhood cancer 
to car crash deaths to now gun violence. And so to be told that this public health problem, this epidemic that we are seeing every day in emergency departments across the country, that's taking the lives of over 100 Americans and injuring another 200 every day across the United States, to tell us that we can't talk about it or research it or develop solutions, I'm just not going to accept that. And as we saw, a lot of other physicians and other healthcare professionals weren't going to accept that either. I think it's a great example of the ways that we can have a great role in the public discourse because by sharing the stories of the patients who had been affected and of our own stories as well, um, we've helped to raise America's awareness that the gun violence epidemic is not just about mass shootings, as tragic and preventable and horrific as they are, but also about the silent tragedies that happen every day, um, the suicides, domestic violence, and homicides that, that touch folks across this country. I think that one of the things that was most affecting about This Is Our Lane for me was hearing other docs' stories as someone who was intimately involved with both writing the letter back to the NRA that got published in USA Today with Heather Schur and Dara Cass, and then with helping to collate the responses, I ended up talking to a lot of docs and other healthcare professionals, nurses, social workers, et cetera. And so many of us have personal stories, right? I think a lot of times we talk about this from the clinical lens, and I think that something that really touched me about it was how much it also affects our families and our neighbors and often ourselves. So just like the this is my lane, this is our lane response, advocacy generally means taking a position on a controversial issue. So there are those who feel that physicians should stay neutral, that we shouldn't let our words or personal opinions cloud our interactions with our patients. What if it alienates our patients? But Megan has some great advice here, too. I do think it's important for physicians and other healthcare professionals to be professional, we don't want to alienate our patients, no matter where they come from or who they are. And here I'll pay homage to Esther Chu's wonderful tweet after um, Charlottesville um, around taking care of a white supremacist. No matter who you are, when you walk through the ED, I want you to trust me that I'm going to do the best job that I can in saving your life. And so I think it's really critical that we maintain that, including on social media. That said... Uh, that doesn't mean that we've abnegated our responsibility to speak out about social issues. We wouldn't be great physicians if we did that. I mean, if you look at the AMA's um, motto, it includes taking care of the public's health. And part of public health is noticing when there are problems and talking about potential solutions. To me, it's important that when I talk about solutions, I try to do it based on evidence. I'm an injury prevention researcher, right? I advocate for funding for research I advocate for our ability to tell up these stories. Um, but I think that for other people who are not researchers per se, it's still important to make sure that what they say is based at least somewhat in kind of what, what the state of the evidence is. I don't think we should be out there kind of spouting polemics. Uh, of course, that's a little in the eye of the beholder. But at the end of the day, if you're professional and, and respectful, that comes through. You know, as I interview medical students coming into residency, I really feel like this next generation of physicians is a social justice generation. And I always hate to see that kind of fade during residency and as life gets busy. So it was interesting to hear how she recommends physicians act as advocates for issues just like gun violence. So the first thing I'd say is 
welcome aboard. We need you. We need all of you. Please don't lose your passion. The second thing is to get involved. So certainly you can be on Twitter and share your voice there. Um, I've met so many wonderful people and watched so much change happen around gun violence, but also around other issues. I mentioned Esther's tweets, Shannon's. Gita Pensa had a great series of tweets around some electronic health record issues. There's just some really neat stuff that can happen on social media. Um, but also find a community. Um, certainly check out our website for Affirm Research. Um, we are a growing and wonderful community of over 40,000 healthcare professionals who care deeply about this for gun violence. Watch Garen's video uh, for what you can do. And if your issue is not one of these, get involved with Social EM through ASAP or SAM, but find a community of folks that can support you. I think there is a dopamine rush with social media, but it can't stop there. It has to be backed up by actually doing the work. And so for folks that are more junior, finding ways that they can do that work and train themselves to be effective, not just in the public sphere, but also in the hard, sometimes slogging or or boring, um, but really essential work in their own EDs and hospitals and communities is really essential. Um, for folks that are out in practice, again, I think the community is important um, and, and finding ways that they can help affect change in their own setting as, as well as online, again, is critical. So what about this concept of a sounding box? You know, often when we tweet or post something on social media, we are preaching to the choir meaning that our online communities often reflect our own worldviews, including opinions, biases, and even misinformation. So sharing advocacy posts amplifies our message within our own community, and blocking posts from those we may disagree with can further perpetuate the issue. So how do we get out of our sounding box? So there was an interesting study showing um, that there's a transition point when you reach about 1,000 followers um, where your tweets start to make it out into the wider world. That said, there are also studies showing that certain types of tweets are more likely to stay within one's closed circle. I think that's okay. I think that particularly for folks who are getting started on social media, you don't need to have a tweet that's going to go viral in your first six months or year or five years of being on social media. Don't set yourself up for disappointment or for failure or for getting off of it. I think that your voice is still important, even if it has five likes or shares. That said, there are certainly ways to expand your circle. That includes following people, both certainly public figures, but also non-public figures, people that you think are interesting. I follow people who work in machine learning. I follow people who are patient advocates. I follow people who are staunch 2A gun rights folks because they are part of my community too. Um, and so I think expanding the community of people that you interact with beyond just physicians is step one. And then step two is working on creating interesting content. Jeremy Faust, who writes a lot of pieces for the popular media, talks about his process of finding his voice and figuring out what resonates outside of medicine. And I think that there's that process on Twitter or Facebook or any form of social media as well. It's a learning process. And that's okay. And embrace it. But keep trying. The other thing that I'll share uh, that I hear a lot from people when they're talking about getting involved in social media and particularly advocacy for change is concern about the trolls. And we've seen a huge rise in trolling over the last few years for a wide variety of reasons, including our political discourse, just the state of the world at large. There's a lot of anxiety and fear out there, and it comes out in people's worst instincts and worst behaviors. 
I don't think that's a reason to stay away. Uh, I think it's important to realize that you can block people, that you can ignore people, you don't have to engage, and that you can report people. Knowing that trolling is out there um, on Twitter and other forms of social media, know it's there and then know how to handle it. I'll actually refer people. There's a great paper that just came out in academic medicine on cyberbullying in academic medicine, which I highly recommend as a read. It's super interesting to me uh, to see which tweets of mine and which tweets of Esther's or Dara's or whoever's uh, bring out the trolls. Um, and it's kind of unpredictable sometimes. And to me, it's engaging with, uh, again, engaging with respect. I don't assume that someone's a troll most of the time. Sometimes you can just kind of tell. And then knowing when to stop. You know, they're, they're, at some point, it's just not worth engaging. But for some people, it is. And I have some wonderful folks who I've developed relationships with on Twitter who come from really, really different perspectives than I do. And I think that we both elevate each other's discourse. Yeah, and to me, that's what it's all about, elevating that conversation. And, you know, I, I try to do this a little bit myself, um, but it's it's really difficult. And I, I loved our interview with Megan. She had so many wonderful points in there. But um, it's a struggle for me to try to figure out how to apply this in my own life. So how do you use social media, Julia? Yeah, so I'm obviously not as active as you are. Um, my social media use or foray has mostly been in the observations phase still. Um, I do go online occasionally, and I love to look at what other people are saying and hearing. Um, and I'll share things that I use or find useful at conferences, but I've not really used it too much for advocacy, honestly. Sarah, what about you? How are you using it right now? So I'm probably a little bit of a step up from the observation stage, but I have mainly used it for teaching. So I maintain my Instagram, which is mainly a teaching account. And on Twitter, I still use that to sort of disseminate information um, and to interact with other people, mainly in terms of information and education, med ed and FOMED. But I am starting to get into the advocacy piece just a little bit. And I think what sparked it for me was the this is my lane movement. And um, and I, I had a couple tweets about that. And I posted something on Instagram and Facebook, what a lot of doctors were doing, posting pictures of their face um, with their name and title. And this is our lane. And that actually got shared very widely. That was probably my my most popular post to date. <laughs> Um, and it even actually caught the attention of the local news media as well. Yeah, I remember that. It was a beautiful post. You know, I love the idea of elevating the conversation. And I think that continuing that conversation is one of the things that I do like about social media. And by that, it's something that we say at every podcast, right? It's like, let's talk about this here and then let's go on to social media and continue this conversation. And in a sense, keep learning together. I think that's one of the wonderful potentials of it. Yeah, and it really is powerful. And Megan's not the only one who talked about the power of social media for advocacy. You remember when we were at Western Regional SAM, we asked this question of a few of the physicians there, and several of them actually mentioned the power of social media. Yeah, it definitely was a theme we ran into. So here's Dr. Harrison Alter from Highland Emergency Medicine. Advocacy for emergency medicine physicians is, I think, a huge untapped reservoir of power. We have the most compelling stories in medicine, really. Um, we have very compelling humanity on our hands. Um, and sometimes it's hard to have those stories and carry them around. But when you think about the power they have on us, you know, with our armor on, think about the power that those stories have on policymakers. Well, when you couple that power with 
logic and evidence, you really have, I think, just this enormous reservoir of advocacy power. And here is Dr. Mike Gisandi from Stanford University. For advocacy, that's outstanding. Yeah, I mean, I think the gun violence debate is a fascinating one. I was at the Medjitopia conference in Kentucky when the NRA told us to stay in our lane. And I mean, I, I had to step away from the conference for a minute so that I could play on Twitter because I had my own things to, to write back, but I just had to watch the vitriol of our community fighting back. That helps us define our community. It helps our community find voice. I think all of the wonderful work of Feminem is another great example of a community of physicians, in this case, not necessarily just women, but but people who believe in gender equity, people who want harassment to be ended in our workplace. You know, that that's taking the step over to Time's Up Healthcare. These are great ways to to create a social movement. Um, and they certainly can happen with respect to medicine, medical education, bringing together faculty members, bringing together physicians or other healthcare providers. It's important to feel like you're part of something and, you know, a basic human need is our need to be social. But to be able to band together and do the right thing, that's even better. And we even heard it from the younger generation of physicians. So here's second-year resident Dr. Vishnu Parthasarathy from UC San Diego. You know, as a resident, I, I think physicians in general have are very respected, have a huge voice in society. People listen to physicians. And so I think it behooves us to use our voice to actually for these purposes and for advocacy in general. And I think um, the more we do it, it's obviously better. And I think the younger we get started uh, advocating for ourselves and for our patients, uh, the you know better it is for physicians as a whole. Not everyone has the same perspective. We also spoke with other physicians who have a slightly different take. Here's Society of Academic Emergency Medicine's president, Dr. Steve Bird. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. If you think back to pre-Instagram, pre-Twitter, pre-Facebook, there was not a great way for an individual physician or a group of physicians to reach the masses, right? We weren't taking out doing public service announcements on TV or on billboards um, because of the cost and the ROI is going to be zero. Um, and we could do it amongst ourselves with newsletters and at annual meetings or regional meetings. But short of that, we didn't reach an audience. Now we have the capability of, of reaching tens, hundreds, or millions of people with these messages. But it also opens up the opportunity for um, less than scientific debate or for emotions to get um, between groups of people. So, you know, how do you manage that? I, I won't say that I know other than if there's you know, I just ignore things like that. But sometimes, right, they tax get personal, et cetera. So I think that is different that did not exist pre-social media. But clearly, the ability to reach lots of people with messages is powerful. And here's Dr. Linda Herman from Cahuilla Delta. I don't have a problem with it. I understand that, because um, I've taken the courses before with ASEP about when you meet with the press on how to stick to your topic and not be distracted by the emotional qualities of it. I really believe that physicians can use it for advocacy, but I would hope that they would apply some of the same principles so that they don't get caught up in the emotionality of the issue and make inappropriate statements. You know, they make some really good points as well. We do have to keep that conversation elevated with messages that are rooted in evidence 
And we should do our best to stay professional and not let those emotions cloud the picture. You know, Sarah, I read this blog post by Ahava Leetbag. They posted on the Mayo Clinic's 12 Words for Social Media Policy. Um, And they talked about that phrase that Megan mentioned earlier about can't delete, right? And they mentioned that this is a very important rule. And they said, if it's still in Google's cache, you can't put it in the trash. And the most effective tool to address this is a strategic pause before you post. Count three, and they suggested thinking of three things. One, to whom you are posting. Who is your audience? Two, is this post appropriate for all ages? And three, does my post add value to the ongoing conversation? Yeah, I think that's great advice. You know, ultimately, I do think social media has great potential when it comes to advocacy, and I think it's an excellent way for physicians to make their voices heard. So we also interviewed Dr. Nikita Joshi from Alameda Health Systems, and she frequently speaks on using social media as well as the importance of branding. And I think she put it very eloquently. I think that this is one of the most important roles that we have as doctors. The fact is social media is where the conversation is happening on every topic out there. And majority of the other professions are out there. Obviously, journalists and those in the media are out there. Lawyers, business people, they're getting their perspectives and views out there. But doctors, we are the experts of when it comes to healthcare and medicine. If we don't get out there, we lose a huge opportunity for our perspective to be a part of the national and international conversation that's happening. And that includes advocacy. That includes advocating for our patients, for their healthcare, for issues such as realizing that gun violence is an epidemic, a health issue that should be tackled as such. Our voices need to be out there. If we don't use social media as a means of engaging that way, we lose out on an opportunity to share our side, our perspective of what's happening. And that would be to the detriment of our profession and our patients. Pulse check. Social media is a powerful tool for advocacy and health professionals share valuable messages. Don't be afraid to get involved. Start an account and follow until you're ready to contribute. Keep it professional. Make sure your messages are backed by evidence. Try not to get caught up in the emotionality of the issues. And finally, follow the Mayo Clinic social media policy, which we'll link to in the show notes. Don't lie. Don't pry. Don't cheat. Can't delete. Don't steal. Don't reveal. Tell us what you're passionate about. Tell us how you advocate for your patients. There's many ways to do this. You can find me on Twitter at, at Jewel Magania. And I'm at Dr. Sarah E.M. And most importantly, <laughs> <laughs> we're at Impulse Podcast. <laughs> Continue this conversation with us. If you're not already, follow us on Twitter or subscribe to the podcast. Subscribing and comments is how we get noticed on iTunes. And thanks to our department for always advocating for us. And thanks to OM Audio Productions for keeping us on track. <laughs> <laughs>